Good morning, church. My name is Marwan Abuzulof, and I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, welcome. So glad to have you with us this morning. If you would open up, if you have your Bible or bulletin, or you can follow along, we're going to begin this morning by reading our passage, which are Psalms 42 and 43. So you can follow along as I read. Psalm 42, starting in verse 1. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Verse 6. I am deeply depressed, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones while all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Chapter 43. Vindicate me, God, and champion my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust person. For you are the God of my refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then... I will come to the altar of God. To God, my greatest joy. I will praise you with a lyre, my God. God, my God. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we... We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that, that you have revealed yourself to us. And we recognize again this morning that unless you have made yourself known to us, that we would never seek after you. And so we, we praise you. We thank you. And we ask that you would speak to us this morning. That you'd be faithful to make yourself known to us through your word. Lord, both for those who do know you this morning, who are found in Christ, 
And to those who don't yet know Jesus as your son, as the Savior of the world. Father, be with us this morning for our good and for your glory. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Again, let me welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, If you were with us last week, uh, you will remember that we considered that our God is a God who hears. And that we can be certain that if we belong to Christ, that he does hear our prayers. And as we thought about hindrances to prayer and, and unanswered prayers, we considered together how we can let our emotions and our experiences affect our reality. Uh, we, we can start to think, well, I know that God hears the prayers of his people. And I know that he doesn't hear the prayer of the wicked, but I'm looking at my life, I'm looking at my circumstances, I'm remembering my prayers, and I don't, I don't think God hears me. And as those emotions get stirred, some might question whether they really belong to God or not. Then those thoughts and emotions can spiral and begin to dictate what's real. We can start to believe what our feelings tell us to believe, whether they're true or untrue. Now, this can happen all too easily when we listen to ourselves. And so last week, I paraphrased a preacher from the UK, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I, I said, we need to listen to ourselves less and speak to ourselves more. You might remember that if you were with us last week. Because our hearts can be deceitful, we need to speak the truths of the gospel to ourselves so that we will live in truth and light and not in darkness and lies. And so for our time today, I want to develop this idea of speaking to ourselves. It might be a comfort to you who speak to yourselves and you say, wait a minute, am I crazy? Is that strange? Is that weird? No, no, it's a good thing, of course, depending on what you're speaking to yourselves. Now, if you answer yourself, we can set up a meeting this week and we can discuss if that's proper or not. Today, I want to think about the importance of letting our reality, and not just our reality, but specifically our identity in Christ, I want us to consider how that is what should determine our emotions. And so we look to these two psalms. Again, if you are new with us, uh, we're in the middle of series, and so these are kind of uh, random uh, sermons, if you will, not random, but they're not connected to a a larger book that we're working through as a church. We just finished uh, a series through the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, Starting next Sunday, we're going to spend the month uh, as a sort of uh, introduction of who we are. Many of you are new. We're not a new church, but many of you are new to us, so we want to go through a vision series, a mission series of who we are, and the following, after that, we're going to go through the book of James, and so these two Sundays, last week and today, are kind of bonus Sundays, if you will. So as I considered, as, we, as I prayed, we thought of last Sunday, remembering that God hears our prayers, and this morning, a connection to that. But because we're not going through the Psalms, let me give you just a little bit of background on Psalms 42 and 43. If you notice, there are two chapters, there are two separate Psalms in our Bible. But many Hebrew manuscripts, which this the Old Testament was largely and primarily written in the Hebrew language, join them together as one. Now, whether they're two or one, we can definitely see by reading that they're connected. Or we can see the writing style. We can see the structure. We can hear that repeated 
refrain. Now, we'll look more closely at this, but these two psalms are cleanly divided into three sections, right? Three stanzas that follow a similar pattern. We heard together that the psalmist begins by listing his frustrations. Then he remembers something about who God is. And then we heard that repeated refrain at the end of each stanza, right? The end of each section ends with a call to action. And so the main point of our passage, which is also the main point of the sermon, which is also the sermon title this morning is, Put Your Hope in God. Put your hope in God. And those words come directly from that repeated chorus, right? In verses 5, 11, and then again in verse 5. And as we work through our passage, we'll do that in two halves this morning. We'll first think together on our fears and frustrations, then we'll consider our firm foundation. Fears and frustrations, then firm foundation. Let's begin by looking at our fears and frustrations. Now, we just read through the many lows, right, the low points of the psalmist's life. And maybe as I was reading through that, as you were following along, maybe one of them especially stuck out to you. Let me highlight them again. Verses 1 and 3, there's longing. There are tears. Also in verse 3, we, we hear of ridicule. There's a deep depression in verse 6. There's a sense of feeling forgotten and overlooked in verse 9. And also in verse 9, there's oppression and there's being attacked by others. We read of sorrow and taunting and needing to be defended and protected. And I wonder, as we read, if you notice how these emotions and experiences, they built on each other, right? They grew deeper, as they often do when we dwell and get uh, uh, dealing and processing our emotions. Often, as we'll consider this morning, apart from the hope that we have in Christ, we just go further in and, and, and further down, right? In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist was crying out that he can't get to God. When can I get to you? Then verse 9, he declares that God has forgotten him. And then in verse 2 of, of Psalm 43, the psalmist feels that God hasn't only forgotten him, in this situation, but that God has abandoned him. We, we've all felt these fears and frustrations in, in one way or another, haven't we? These are real experiences and real emotions, real fears and real frustrations. And, and I want to point out today that Christianity doesn't discount them. Right? Christianity doesn't overlook the realities of this life. Jesus is very much aware of the reality of sin and brokenness. And, and I wonder, and I, and I think it's safe for me to say that some of you, whether in a previous church experience or maybe in another religion altogether, you have felt or maybe you've been told that you shouldn't feel certain things. You shouldn't ask certain questions of God. Or religious leaders. That's not true of biblical Christianity. Now, why am I highlighting biblical Christianity? Isn't all Christianity biblical? Maybe someone chuckled. Yes, that was the right response. No, unfortunately, sadly, it's not. 
I'm, I'm highlighting biblical Christianity because not everything labeled as Christianity is actually Christian. There are lots of peoples and groups who identify as Christians, and maybe it's because they know what they're not. Right? Well, we're not that religion or not that group of people. Maybe they have certain moral positions and certain cultural positions, and so they've kind of attached Christianity to it. But their lives and actions don't look anything like Jesus or the teachings of the Bible. We, unfortunately, have a perfect example of such uh, positions and events that just happened down the street the other night. Violent acts of hatred stemmed out of fear were done in the name of Jesus. How does that make any sense? You see, often people will shape Christianity into what they want it to be. But let me say clearly for you and to you that that's not how it works. Right? If you want to know who God is and what he said, you go to the Bible. And it's the Bible that shapes the Christian, not the other way around. And so, back to this point about Christianity not discounting the realities of this world, we don't need to hide or ignore the questions and the difficulties that we have. The, the, the Psalms are, are the greatest example of how we are to bring our worries and our concerns and our grievances to God. We, we read of the spectrum of human emotion and experience in the Psalms and what it looks like for us to cry out to God, and we are encouraged to do so. Not only does the Bible acknowledge these realities, but it tells us how to deal with them and how to process them, how to live as people with hope in a hopeless world. How can we live in the light in a world that's broken and dark? Well, we'll get to that soon. There, there are many ways we can group that list of fears and frustrations that I just highlighted, but there are three categories that jump out to me. Uh, abandonment, ridicule, and attack. And so let's think together on those, but in f- beginning with abandonment. Listen to Richard Sibbs' comments on abandonment in this psalm. Sibbs is a 17th century Puritan theologian, and he writes... And I've updated the English just slightly, so it's not an exact quote. But he writes, As long as we make God our confidence, all Satan's efforts are in vain. His scope is therefore to shake our confidence in God. And so, there's not anything that Satan or anyone can do to the believer whose hope is in God. And so what is the attack? What is the scope? What is the aim Make you doubt that you belong to him. Make you doubt that God is there and that God is for you. Make you feel abandoned and alone. Friends, listen. God has never and can never abandon us. And yet we know that there is brokenness and sin. And it's because of brokenness and sin in this world and and even in our own lives We may sense a loss of God's love for us. But, as one pastor has helpfully written, a loss of the present sense of God's love is not a loss of that love itself. Did you hear that? It's 
it's important that we remind ourselves just because we feel or experience something doesn't mean that it's deeply true. But as we consider, again, this category of abandonment, what does the fear of abandonment tell us? What is it revealing more deeply? Our fear of and experience of abandonment speaks to our deep need for belonging. You can affirm that, can't you? There's something deep in all of us that wants and needs connection. We need a people and a place to belong to. And the thought of being left and abandoned and disconnected and alone is really and rightfully terrifying. Belonging is good and it's important. Then we can look at ridicule. Uh, the, the ridicule in these examples doesn't come from our own crying out to God and asking, God, where are you? Even though we see that in the Psalms. But it comes from others who are mocking the psalmist and saying, where is your God? It's mentioned twice in the passage. Again, this isn't coming from people who are atheists, right? People who, there's no God, and so they're, they're attacking those who believe in God. It's not that. Uh, they're not mocking the person who believes in God. It's a ridicule that we have believed and trusted in a God who doesn't seem to be providing. Right? We are being mocked for hoping, a God, hoping in a God that isn't helping us or isn't protecting us. And so the mockers cry out, where is this God of yours? Now, there's a few layers that we can think on uh, this, this issue of being ridiculed, but as we think of the fear of being ridiculed, uh, we can say that it speaks to our deep need for acceptance and approval. Whether we like it or not, we are a people who care about what others think of us. That's why, especially on Sunday mornings, I take extra time to comb my hair for you. And if you laughed, I'm offended. This, I don't just wake up looking with my buzz haircut. But anyway... Right, but, but we know that, don't we? We don't want to be picked on or, or made fun of. And not, not just because words can hurt our feelings or they can hurt our pride. More deeply, it's because we don't want to be rejected. Right? We, we want and we need acceptance, not rejection. Lastly, we can look at this idea of being attacked by people. Uh, we, we read it in the first verse of the psalm. I'll just read that first line vindicate me, God, and champion my cause. Right? What's the psalmist crying out? He's just crying out, clear my name, defend me, protect me. Now, I asked earlier which one of these uh, categories or specific fears or frustrations might have uh, stood out in your life. And for me, this one stood out this week. No details are necessary, but, but it felt like there's, there was a need for my name to be defended. I felt like there was misfair, uh, unfair misunderstandings, and I was worried about all the things that it could lead to, what, what people could think. And I was considering and praying and even preparing for this sermon, and I even believe that God led me to these Psalms, 42 and 43, maybe especially for me. I remember one of these nights when I wasn't able to sleep, thinking and processing and couldn't get past the situation, God brought this refrain to mind. 
And that's, friends, how God's word works. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you downcast? Why are you in such turmoil? Friends, these truths and the truths of God's word were a comfort for me. And I know that they are for you as well. But what does the fear of attack point to? Again, as we're kind of looking at the underlying reason, maybe something deeper. It speaks to our deep desire for peace. No one wants trouble. No one wants stress or fighting or drama. We want rest, don't we? We want peace. Now, remember with me that in these three stanzas, the first portion, and this isn't exactly, but we can see the pattern, the first portion is a, is a listing, a, a venting of these fears and these frustrations. Then following that, the psalmist tries to remember the good things. Right, look with me to Psalm 42, verse 4. As an example of the second section of, of this pattern. He writes, I remember this as I pour out my heart. How I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. He remembered back to better days. But remembering the good old days only helps so much. And, and really, if we think about it, when you're lonely, when you remember times that you weren't lonely, you, you might think, yes, but then what, what happens? It kind of emphasizes your loneliness even more. And so what do we do? These emotions and these fears and these frustrations, the, the real downs and even the ups of human experience need something to be anchored in. We need a firm foundation. And so let's think on that together. Look with me again to the refrain and to this chorus. You see it in, in Psalm 42 verses 5. And verses 11 or in Psalm 43, verse 5. It's, again, the same, same refrain. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Charles Spurgeon's comments here are, are so good. I couldn't resist, though I try. Otherwise, my sermons will be filled with 10, 15 Charles Spurgeon quotes. But here's one. As though he were two men, the psalmist talks to himself. His faith reasons with his fears, and his hope argues with his sorrows. His faith reasons with his fears, and his hope argues with his sorrows. It's, it's so good. We can hear the psalmist speaking to himself. He's confronting his thoughts with the truth and the power of God's word. And the questions that the psalmist asks are, are important. And that's because often the best surgery for our grief is to search out the cause of our sorrows. Not just rest in them. We need to ask the questions. And the Spirit will lead us to do so because a believer won't be satisfied with self-ignorance. 
As difficult as these times of despair are, the believer is called not to surrender to feelings of discouragement or depression or despair. Yes, of course, we're going to fall into those times, just like the psalmist does. But, but we see an example and a call to action in our passage. Right? It's a call to look at what grieves us in light of who God is and what he's done. Let me say that again. This call to action is a call to look at what grieves us in light of who God is and what he's done. You hear it, right? It's a call to action. It's a call not to surrender. Brothers and sisters, put your hope in God. It's an active response. It's been said that hope is like the sun, which as you journey towards it, will cast the shadows of burdens behind us. Right? Our, our burdens need to be seen in the light of God's goodness. Sometimes I scroll on Instagram. Should I ask for a raise of hands? If, has anyone ever done that, or am I the only one who has sometimes just scrolled? And scrolling on Instagram is usually horrible, uh, but, but it, it's not always the worst thing in the world. Uh, in, in this example, I came across a, a clip by a preacher. His name is Alistair Begg, and, and he said, if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself and trust my experience. What's he saying? He's saying, if we just listen to our thoughts and fears, and if we just listen to what other people say and do to us, then we're going to remain in that low place, that downcast place, that place of dejection, right? Our souls will stay in turmoil, and so we speak to ourselves. We, we ask ourselves, why are we heavy? Why are we downcast? And, and our firm foundation is found in that last line of, of, the, of the refrain, my Savior and my God. This is a call, once again, to look at our fears and frustrations in light of our Savior and our God. It's a call to put our hope in our Savior and our God. And again, notice the psalmist is calling himself to do that. And so we too are to preach to ourselves and call ourselves to hope in God. Now, if you've been around this church for any, any period of time, you've probably heard me talk about hope. And when I do speak of hope, I always point out that we usually, maybe more than just usually, we, we use the word hope in a wrong way. We use the word hope in the way that we would use the word wish. I hope I have a good day. I hope it won't be humid tomorrow, even though we very well know it's going to be humid tomorrow and yesterday and today. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. We just... We're just wishing for things, but that's not what hope is. To, to hope for something is more than just to desire something. Hope is a blending of desire and expectation. There has to be a reason that we can expect something to happen, and we can hear it in the psalm, can't we? When the psalmist remembers God's past faithfulness, he has reason to expect that God will be, based on his character, based on what God has done in the past, 
that he would be faithful again in the future. And we can catch glimpses in our passage that tell us the psalmist has experienced both the presence and the goodness of God to some degree. Right? He knows to, to a certain point the grace of God. And because he's known these truths of God in the past, he has reason to hope the same for the future. This hope that we have and we're being called to put in rests in the character of God. Specifically, in what's known as the immutability of God. That's the attribute of God that, that teaches that he doesn't change. Right? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's because God is unchanging, his grace is the foundation for an unshakable hope. We don't have to worry, well, I hoped in God yesterday, but what if he changes his mind? What if he is like you and me, and he has a mood swing, or something affects him from outside of himself? That's not how God works, because he is God. As I was reading, I, I, I thought it was important for us to notice that the change the psalmist is crying out to God for, the change that he needs, it hasn't happened. Right? And yet his hope and his identity in God will sustain him through the darkest of nights. If, if we were to hope in people or to hope in ourselves, if we hoped in the good times or in our good efforts, how miserable would that be? We, we would have no stability. We would have no assurance. We would have no real reason to hope. And our entire life would be tossed around at every experience. I received a compliment. I feel good about who I am. That person didn't notice me. I am worthless. And back and forth from what happens to us and what we feel within ourselves. But there is a true and deep hope in the character of God and who he is. And we need to remind ourselves daily of that truth. That's what we see here in the psalm. But we also see that there's hope not only in who God is, but in what he's done. Right? In some way, the psalmist has also experienced the salvation of God. Right? He has seen God as Savior. And I want to think on that with you as, as we come to a close this morning. Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him, my Savior and my God. This is a, this is a good and clear translation of the original text. Again, remember the original uh, language was Hebrew as this was written, but uh, the Hebrew phrasing of this line specifically is interesting. It's a bit more full, and if you speak another language, you know there's sayings and phrases in, your, in, in, in a certain language that they can be translated rightly, but maybe the emotion isn't fully understood. How do you, how do you translate the word naiman in any language, Right? You can't, but we understand it in one language, but you can, you can give it a faithful translation, but there's something still missing. No one asked me what that means. You can ask uh, another, uh, whoever laughed, and when I said that, you can ask them, what does Naaman mean? Uh, you can have a, a purpose and a reason to, to chat after the service. But, but this, this line is, is, is a bit more full. They can translate as having hope, not just in my Savior and my God, but in the salvation of his face. Or, in a poetic understanding, it can be read that the psalmist is wanting to rest in the smile of God. 
to rest in the smile of God. The idea here is that the psalmist spoke to himself what is most important. He, he reminded himself what he really cares about more than anything else. Above all things, his hope and his highest desire was to rest in the smile of God. In the midst of his sorrow, in the middle of his fears and frustrations, he remembered that the things he deeply wants, the things he deeply needs, can be fully found in the face of God. I think we can understand that. I don't know what's happening in your life. I have the privilege to know some of the things happening in some of your lives. But I know that if God were to look down on you with a smile, would anything else matter? Of course, of course it wouldn't. But you also might be thinking, God's not smiling down on me. I've done nothing that is worthy of his love or his kindness or his smile. And friends, there is truth to that. And it's difficult. Uh, part of me always wants to say, no, friend, don't be hard on yourself. Don't feel sad. Jesus loves you. But the reality is, this is the condition for all of humanity. We read last week, and I'll read it again today, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 12. Excuse me, 9 through 12. Paul writes, we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, and again, he's speaking not just to two different uh, nations or peoples or ethnicities, but speaking to those who belong to God, and the Greeks represent everyone else. So all of humanity are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Friends, the scriptures are clear that our sin has separated us from God, every single one of us. And so in and of ourselves, we're not under the smile of God. We are under the wrath of God. Well, who, who then does God smile at? Jesus, his son, and everyone who is found in his son. You see, the, the psalmist didn't know the fullness of God's salvation. God's people in the Old Testament only had glimpses of what's, what God's salvation would look like. And they looked forward to that. But we, by the grace and sovereignty of God, we live on, as they say, on this side of the cross. Whether, whether you believe it or not, we know if you don't know, you've heard this morning, or you will hear, that Christ has come and he died on the cross. We, we have seen, as we read in the scripture, the lengths that God has gone to save. We know what he's done to save. We know, as the scriptures declare, that Jesus is the savior of the world. He's not just a prophet, not just a good teacher, not just a historical figure. The Bible declares that he is the son of God. He's the savior of of the world. And, and here's the hope that we have in Jesus. And here's what we need to remember every day and 
preach to ourselves every day. As Jesus was betrayed, he was attacked and he experienced attack from people. Not just by people randomly, not by an enemy, but by a close friend. During his trial, even as he hung on the cross, he was mocked and ridiculed. On the cross, as Jesus carried the weight of our sin on his shoulders, and his, as his Father poured out his wrath and his judgment on our sin, Jesus sensed the abandonment of his Father. Attack, ridicule, abandonment. Because Jesus experienced our deep fears and frustrations, in him we have those things that we deeply need and deeply long for. In Christ alone will we have belonging and acceptance and peace. And, and not just in a temporary way that we sometimes hope for, in a temporary way before others, but eternally before God. The way that you put your hope in God is by resting in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. If that's something you've never done before, the Bible says that if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was raised from the grave, that you're saved. That, that's by believing those things, you have life. See, faith and belief is putting all of your trust and all of your hope in Jesus to make you right before God. Not in your works, not in your efforts, not in your fears or your successes, but in Christ alone. And when you do, though your situation might not look much different here on earth, you have been given an eternal place in the family of God. And friends, that reality will transform every aspect of your life. And for those of you this morning, brothers and sisters, who do believe, who are found in Christ, the call is to put your hope in God also. It's the same call for the non-believer and for the believer. And for you, dear Christian, to put your hope in God is, is a minute-by-minute minute trusting that your greatest need has been provided by Jesus and when everything around you seems to be covered in darkness, you remember the light of the world has stepped into darkness. Friends, brothers, sisters, let your faith reason with your fears. And let your hope argue with your sorrows. What's beautiful about being united with Christ is that we're also now united to one another. And there are lots of reasons and beauties and, and calls for, uh, for the fellowship in the family of God. But here especially, it's important to remember because there will be times that we're just too weak or we're too burdened to preach to ourselves. Brothers and sisters, look out for one another. Care for one another. Shower one, one another with the water of God's word. That's what it means to be evangelical. There are people of the gospel. That means the gospel is central to everything we do. It's our hope. 
It's what we encourage one another with. And so encourage the downcast with the truths of the gospel so that it would push against the lies of this world. And friends, let's live daily in the hope that we have in God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, our Savior and our God, we thank you that you have given us a reason for hope. And not just that, but that you will give us the faith to hope in you. Father, do that work this morning as your spirit works here amongst us. Father, may we live as a people with hope because the scriptures declare that we have a living hope within us in the resurrected Christ. And Father, we pray by your grace and your kindness that you would use us as our church to live in such a way that people recognize there is a difference, that they will see you as a difference, that you would be clearly seen as the hope in our lives. Father, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.